Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is Valerie Keller, co-founder and chief executive of Imagine, an organization unleashing the power of a courageous business collective to achieve the global goals. Now, for this campaigning leader, hope is indeed a strategy, and she's working with the former Unilever chief executive, Paul Polman, to deliver a simple message. If not us, who? If not now, maybe never. Valerie, welcome to Changemakers. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. I love the focus on courage and bravery, the call out to CEOs. Pick up the story for us. Hi, Michael. Great to be with you. And thanks for that. And I think we need more, more courage and more bravery. And when we see others who are behaving courageously, it gives us more bravery. So that's the kind of theory of change that's, uh, that is giving us hope these days for sure. Now, you're working with some major organizations. There are questions about that courage. Are they up to it? Have they got the fiber, the backbone to actually step up to the plate in terms of the, the sort of, I guess, the perils of the planet right now? What, what do you make of the, the courage of CEOs around the world? Yeah, I think so. I mean, let's unpack the word courage for a moment there. The reason why I um, and we imagine rely very much on calling forth the courageous collective um, is, is very much because the root of the word courage is occur is the heart. <laughs> and so when I say, say that, you know, think about the lion hearted is courageous on this. So, okay, well, what makes us courageous is when we care. It's what's in our hearts that actually is like, oh, I care enough to like do something that other people would think is potentially not great. The other I think is, is, is interesting why we say the courageous collective versus the individuals is because we as human, the human animals angel that we are, <laughs> we get courage in the collective. When we see others who care and are acting, we say, oh, okay, okay, me too, me too. For us, there's something about when we come together from a circle of care and we say we believe that there's a possibility to create a world that works for everybody and a planet that's around to sustain us, that that's something that's actually even more contagious than a virus. And you've got, uh, we'll come on to the virus, I'm sure, but you've got the global goals in your sight as something that can be, uh, goals that can be attained and unleashing the power of business to help achieve them. In terms of the conversations that you're having with, with business leaders, how sort of confident do they feel that these are, are goals that can be attained in, in what's quite a short period of time? Yeah, Michael, I would say that we don't have much of an option these days. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, from a human evolution perspective and the environment and the planet that we're on right now, um, if we don't, as a we, as a big global human society, the one tribe, one planet that we are, figure out how we stop climate change and reverse climate change. There's the other side of that coin, which is around inequality and the what, what many would say, and I think would agree, the broken social contract that says there's just too few of us that are able to achieve the lifestyle that we believe is okay for everybody to have, you know, what the global goals stand for, which is, you know, let's say it's health for all, hunger for none, is what is it that we actually can achieve? So if you, if you look at it and say, this is not a nice to have, this is a necessary. Oh, and but by the way, when we do, we can actually live around within planetary boundaries and our species might be around in, in ways that is allows us to flourish. So I think for, for many people, this has become an imperative. It's just something we have to do. 
And by the way, when we do, we will have a planet that is around and we will be able to flourish within it. And if we don't, the, the alternatives are really not great. So we have to come from a we can and we will. Um, and I think that the science is very clear. The narrative has shifted from, oh, is this something that we can be doing? But say, actually, it's a complete imperative. And that COVID has woken us up to that even more so. Um, so it's top of mind. It is part of our consciousness. We do see a consciousness shifting. We do see people saying we need to apply the science. We need to implement science-based targets for what we need to do. We also see people saying we need to have the courage of our convictions. Oh, but by the way, we can unlock all kinds of innovations that will get us here. And I suppose something that, that business knows a lot about is how to play to win against big, big issues, big challenges. I mean, is that is that part of the kind of, I guess, the unique opportunity for business to play its part in this. Yeah, I think so. And I think well, if, if business doesn't right now, we are deeply concerned. If you look anywhere and you say, where is the leadership going to come from that helps to create a world that works for us? It's not coming from the political leaders. We don't believe it's because of it's an ill intent. I mean, there's certain portions of the planet and, and numbers of us who maybe are more narcissistic and self-orientated than most, but most people want to do the right thing. And they're just not able to because of the environment, the context that they're in. So if you look at it and you say the political leaders are in the short-term cycles, they're often optimizing for the nation-state environment, whereas business and business leaders are right now, at least most of the big global businesses, are global. They are already, their supply chains reach everywhere. Their employees are comprised of every nationality almost, right? So if you say the leadership isn't going to come from the political leaders, therefore it can and must come from the private sector working together to then also then work with political leaders to say, okay, now how do we change the rules of a game? so they work better for everybody. Nobody wants a child to go to bed hungry because of a choice that they made. Nobody is wanting to see um, deforestation accelerate and the lungs of our planet continue to burn. That's not, I mean, except for a very small group of people who might be do profiting from that. So then why is it happening? The other piece that we would say is that what we are encouraged by is how business leaders are stepping up. And let me actually throw away a term for a second. Business leaders, and let's just call them these human beings, these like members of tribe humanity who happen to be in positions of power and influence. And they're showing up as their full human self who says, you know what, I can see the science. I understand. I have kids. You know, particularly we've got, you know, so many of these times when we would get CEOs together, they aren't coming together as CEOs. They're coming together as human beings. As, as people. And, 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 in the, and I love that the idea about the, the safe space that, that you're, you're offering them. Now, I mean, because the thing I felt about, imagine having read it, I mean, I, I, I will have to ask, as a Paul Pullman and you, who is the John Lennon fan? But we'll, we'll save that one for a moment. But I mean, but there was this idea that actually it's, it's, there's almost a poetry to some of the writing that actually you can find a place where you're among others that are trying to solve similar problems. Yeah. I mean, is, is that the attraction, do you think, for them? Oh, 100%. I think people want to make change happen. We like to be uh, part of, of people, communities who care. And so... When 
say, look, there's a group of, so there's a small group of people who are coming together who care. And by the way, they stand for each other. We're going to come from high trust that we've got each other's back. And that actually we all really are here to use our powers and our time for good and for impact. And when we do, that is more fun, that is more fulfilling. And it just is also in a way getting people past the frustrations that they've been feeling. It's like, oh, no, this is crazy, but we can fix it if we work together. I mean, when um, when I think about your your biography, your your CV, it's a sort of, you know, it's a blue chip story of of public and private service. Behind that is a story which you're writing into a book about your your changing life, growing up in a cult and how that was the beginnings of, you know, really an adventurous life that could have been gone in so many different directions in terms of the experiences that you had. Just tell us a little bit more about that early life experience. Yeah, but you know, Michael, we were all born into a cult. (laughs) <laughs> so, we, so I was born into a cult in the cornfields. It was a, uh, it was a very similar to what people are, are watching orth, unorthodox, right? Or if they read educated recently, they might be able to understand and to relate to. But, you know, there was all the rules of the game of like what life meant um, and what man means and what woman means. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was many things that were beautiful about it. I'm the oldest of seven girls, right? We were all, you know, playing out in the cornfields uh, um, as, as we were was homeschooled. Um, but, and, you know, we would make our clothes. I would say my parents were hippies for Jesus is how I described them, but it took me a little while to figure out what was the hippie part and what was the Jesus part. So the hippie part would be that we would be growing our food and the, and uh, making our clothes. And the Jesus part would be that the clothes would be long skirts for women. But the other side of that was, um, was that of course, you know, any kind of belief system that you're in drives your behaviors. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to ask and, and, and what what carries through to you today when you look at the Valerie of 2020 versus the Valerie growing up in the cornfields? I mean, what what's the legacy of, of that experience, do you think? Well, I've lived many, many lives in one, and it's it's possible for other people who have lived in many lives as well. And it's just changing your perspective on and your belief system, and then your whole life changes from there. So that's the the unlock for me. And coming out of the cult in the cornfields is also how I say that we're all in a cult of capitalism right now, you know. And it, what didn't work for me there, and what helped get me out of that cult, was that it didn't work for others. And news had reached us of uh, the famine in Ethiopia, and I just couldn't understand how somebody who could have been me was going to be suffering on earth because he didn't have access to food. He was going to be suffering forever and ever and ever in the afterlife because he didn't believe in the same way that we had believed. And it just didn't fit. It didn't fit for me. And so that was kind of my getting out of the cult that I also think is now the cult that I got into capitalism when I went into Oxford and to the World Economic Forum and started working with big business. And we see that actually it's just not working for everybody. So if I could just stop you for just one second, when you think about that consciousness moment, that fact that you you had agency, you had empowerment to do things, you had opportunity, what part of your career was that? Has that just been a an enduring part of your journey that has always been there? Or was there a was there a moment where you thought, actually, I don't have to accept the cult of capitalism, I can do something about it? 
Yeah, I never actually fully went into the cult of capitalism because I think the cult of the cornfields gave me a belief system that was what is the, the inquiry that I've been in, Michael, has been what's the possibility for a human life? And like, what are we playing this game for? Like we come in, we spend X years on this kind of planet or this reality, and then we go somewhere. We don't know where that is. So is it going to, what are we doing with this thing? Am I just going to give my time to get some money to get some stuff? Like it just, it just kind of didn't make sense in the way that we've been educated on what a good life is. And so for me, the inquiry of what is fulfilling, right? what's fun and fulfilling, what's the possibility of that? If you hold that question, then it opens up a whole different kinds of possibilities for different tracks. So for me, then I went and ran homeless shelters. I you know, opted out of a kind of other tract on this, and I was in NGOs and social enterprises. But then the other inquiry was like, okay, the, what's actually fun and fulfilling, honestly, is doing things that are also fun and fulfilling for other people. You just approach life from that perspective it actually gets you into business as a force for good. I mean, but it's interesting, you mentioned the, the good life there. I mean, a lot of people ask me about, you know, what are the guests on Changemakers talking to you about? And and I often say, but actually it's secrets to the, to the good life. And, and actually, it's interesting, people come from it from lots of different perspectives. But something I, I think that comes out as a recurring theme is something that you also said there, which is almost like the, the paying it forward, the idea of actually, you know, that you are part of a circular so a circle of energy so you, you're, you're sort of you're out of it you're too high up that actually there is a kind of circular flow in all of this that seems to seems to energize a lot of very active people I mean is that is that something you would identify with oh 100% we're all just energy light beings right here right now <laughs> <laughs> well let's keep this energy going <laughs> I mean there is a thing here that I think you're talking about as well about leaders which is about having the confidence and the space to bring out their own humanity. And I, I wondered, you know, you've obviously worked with some very large institutions, Ernst Young's Beacon Institute, being the chief exec of Veritas. In terms of authentic leadership, when you had the confidence to be you, who you are, the very engaging person that, that, that we're hearing today, in terms of that confidence to be human in the role, did you always have that? Or do you think that's something you've basically got to have the confidence at some point to break through with? I think that this is exactly also what the work of Imagine does. It says we we get leaders who are human beings who happen to be in positions of power. So let's say they're food, fashion, or finance. Take a pause, step back, think about life. <laughs> what matters to you? What's fulfilling? Oh, and where do you see what's needed from the world? What does the world ask of you and what's there now? And do that in conversations with other people. And that's just the opening of the heart space. So it, whatever it is that I have experienced has literally been, you know, maybe it was because I was barefoot in the cornfields, right, as well, to where then you care, you're connected into nature. And there is something about the hunger of the soul, which is for meaning and belonging to, to matter. Get in nature, have a think about one's life, be in conversations about what is it that we could do that use, you know, would make it more fun and fulfilling. Oh, and that all also would be something that would generate, you know, meaning and money, finance and fulfillment. But it feels like with a lot of very large corporations that this is relatively new territory, that in some respects, the language, the culture um, amongst a lot of very large companies is almost the opposite of human. I mean, I remember I remember interviewing John Mackey, the Whole Foods founder, and he was talking about 
unconscious capitalism that actually, you know, actually a lot of conscious employees can often be a problem if they're individualistic and they're and they're sort of like they're full of humanity, full of beans. But actually, it feels that especially in this year, 2020, in a year where we found our activism, we are there is a sense of change that actually leaders need to get with the program a bit more quickly. Yeah, well, I would say that what are organizations made of? They're made of organisms. There's some human beings right, that make them up. So, so then you say, okay, well, what, you know, should we get those leaders? Um, those leaders are human beings who care. They, they see what time it is as well. They've, see, they've been around the world even before the planes grounded us. And they've probably seen something that they can't unsee that doesn't work for them. And, and, you know, think about George Floyd. And that was a big moment for us, too. Oh, that could have been me. Oh, that just doesn't work. Ah, yeah. OK. Yeah. No, I don't want to be in a world that's just not OK because somebody's avatar happens to be brown or black and the game is stacked against them. That just doesn't work. Oh, OK. I've been and I've seen that there's more plastic in the oceans and fish and that the coral reefs are dying. Oh, that's OK. That doesn't work. So the, the leaders of these organizations are human beings who are just like you and me and whoever else is listening to this program. Mm. I mean, you and I both suffer from the same affliction is that we are very pro-business. We see the opportunities of business as a force for good, but there will be people that will listen to a show like this and go, come on, look at the, look at the harm business has done to the world as a polluter, as a, an abuser. Look at the way that business is treating our data. What's your repost to that in terms of just how good a force for change business really is? Yeah, no, it would all be completely justifiable. It says, you know, that um, the, that's why we say capitalism is a bit of a cult. It has actually caused deaths, just like the cult that I got out of in the cornfields of Indiana caused deaths. So has capitalism. By And it has been a collective unconscious and optimizing for, let's say, short-term profitability versus taking responsibility for one's own supply chain, full supply chain, like we're starting to see in food companies and fashion as well. It says, actually, if you're part of making things that are all part of our creations and sellings of products or services, your life matters. So is there a responsibility for people to then clean business, clean up its act? Absolutely. Um, do you want to say that uh, all businesses are full of enlightened leaders who just are going to come together and do the right thing? No, of course not. We have twin uh, challenges and slash opportunities that have only been accelerated in the time of COVID, and that is climate can only have healthy people in a healthy environment and rising inequality. And if you look at and say, okay, where are the biggest leverage points to actually have systemic change, you very quickly get to the food system. You very quickly get to fashion. And if you do that, then you say, okay, the system needs to change. Well, we just decided who the system was. The system is human beings. The fact that you have, let's say, a food system, you could then say, can you get 30% of the industry together. Well, who is the industry? Can you, okay, that means can I get like 20 to 30 people together whose first names we know across the value chain to then say, ah, okay, if we could help accelerate carbon, climate positive agriculture, if we could look at smallholder livelihoods, if we could look at uh, conscious consumption, and if you've got everybody from the inputs and seeds providers to the retailers, let's say, you know, the biggest retailers of the world and everybody across the value chain who act together, you can actually transform a system. And you can do that with, let's say, 12, 15, 20, 30 people who come together for collective action to say, what is it that we can do together that we can't do alone that helps change? 
roles of the game so that they work better for everyone. We're seeing that also within fashion. We had over 30 companies who first signed up to the fashion pack. That's now up to 66. It's 120 brands who said we are going to together commit to science-based targets around climate, regenerative agriculture. Now that's a created a race to the top. If you get a few individuals who start to move and it goes back to your earlier question about courage, actually, Michael, it just took courage for the first people to sign on. You need the first movers. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing I was going to say though, is that, I mean, I mean, that's great and love the, love the idea. But when you think about the global goals and their objectives to be delivered within, within, well, less now than, than 10 years, I mean, how quickly do you have to catalyze that movement, that mindset, that activism? I mean, just just give us a sense of the nature of the challenge ahead. Well, I think it's the challenge ahead for humanity right now that says if we don't take the moment of COVID, I think that's really even more urgent than ever that we say it's not an option for us to get back on track. That track, we were not on our trajectory. We were on a trajectory to four degrees. That's unhelpful for humanity's survival, right? We, we were back to rising in inequality and what has been accelerated here is, is only going to perpetuate that unless we do things differently. Oh, but wait, there's hope. There's a whole lot of people who already are operating not in the cult of capitalism, who are in a space that says it's not an either or, it is an and, and that there are models of circularity. You talked about the circle of energy, right? Where we can make and create in ways that are in line with our planetary boundaries that are ways that are providing for people's well-being through the process of the productions as well. And do you think that in this year of COVID-19, of massive social unrest, of economic downturn, possibly depression, do you you think that those make the conditions for the change that you see more, more or less likely? I think it's more possible. I don't know if it's more likely or not. Enough of us need to step through what I would call, and others are also calling the portal, that the pandemic can be a portal to a different kind of world. We've had a big pause. Is this potentially, can this be, can we make this a breakdown to the breakthrough that we've been ready for? So many of us have been saying this is unsustainable. We need to look at different models, do different ways of living our lives and working and running our businesses and economies and societies. That's evident. It's so clear. And the fact that we're having the pandemic pause that's causing us to rethink everything, how we relate to one another, how we work through modes of even how we're having this conversation here, how we relate to one another in terms of even what we've seen with kind of the humanitarian crises around the world as well. There is, I think, a potential for that. And I'm seeing it also from a greater empathy. That if we feel like we're in this thing together, this human life experience, we will figure out how to take care of each other and how to do it in ways that are in line with our planetary boundaries. Human beings can do this. We are incredibly innovative and creative when we decide that we care about something. And I think that is the possibility of it. We have seen, I think, a greater solidarity from the pandemic that says we are one and we are more united. And I look, this is not just the people in the business leaders that are saying this. This is the guy that I was buying my uh, my uh, halloumi cheese from down the corner in the office in London who said, yeah, the pandemic is showing us we are one and now we just need to do this without the virus. Yeah, this is just something that I think is a global consciousness that people are stepping through. The question is, is can we actually make the behavior changes we know we need? Wow. I mean, you started off 
telling us that courage meant from the heart. Valerie, you have been an absolute model of from the heart in this interview. Thank you very much for joining me on Changemakers. Thanks there to Valerie Keller, the CEO of Imagine, a leader who sees a future where we can be the change, empowered to be that change. And perhaps to borrow the words of that timeless song, Imagine, it might be easy if you try. And I hope someday you'll join us for the next edition of Changemakers. We'll see you then. 